0: To the Hack Your Mindset podcast with me, Jenny Winterleach, the Mindset Hacker. So, wherever you are today and whatever it is you're doing while you're listening to this, settle in and enjoy the ride. Hi, everyone, and welcome to something a little bit different today. Uh, This is the Flying Changes Mindset and Performance show, and here I am, Jenny Winterleach, with myself. Um, So, this is the first time that I have done one of these without a guest these um, shows, which became podcasts, originally started out so that I could interview incredible people to hear their stories, how they overcame challenges, their journey, and um, what they've been up to, to get to where they are today with their inspiration, in their riding, in whatever it was. And today, I thought it was about time, really, um, that maybe you found out a little bit about Flying Changes, a bit about my story, and a bit about what uh, created Fire and Changes Mindset and Performance and how it came to be what it is today. So please do ask any questions, unless, of course, you're li- listening back to this on the podcast, in which case you can ask me questions in another way, but obviously not live. Um, if you've got any thoughts or questions that you want to know from me about my story. So where do I begin? Um, well, let's start from the beginning, I suppose. Um, I was born into a non-horsey family. No one knows where it came from. Uh, It was almost as though it was just a part of me. Um, I always had to be around horses. I couldn't get enough of them whenever we were out and about. I would uh, want to go and pat them, talk to them, be around them. And one of my very earliest memories was that of a beautiful grey horse, a white grey. And we were out on a walk. And I was just drawn to this horse at this fence line, and um, I was out with my family, and I went to go and say hi to it. And I just remember looking up at its face and thinking, God, like I mean, it had been about four or five years old, I think, and just like just thinking it was magical, like it was like a unicorn. (laughs) Um, And so, obviously, even at that age, there was something in me. Um, whenever we could do pony rides, I always pestered my family to let me sit on a horse. Not they weren't in any way horsey. We've never had them in the family. There's no connection to them particularly. And whilst we did live in Dorset, which is rural, there's lots of horses around. It wasn't, us So yeah, even from that very early age, there was something that drew me to horses. But let me take you to. Nineteen ninety-three, sometime around then, I'm in a room, sat around a table, and in front of me are my parents, and we're having the discussion about what I'm going to do with my GCSEs, and whether you know what choices I was going to make, and they say to me, "Well, you know, you need to get proper GCSEs. You need to, you know." do you do ones that are going to set you up in good stead to go to university to get a proper job because there's no money in horses there's no career in horses and although you've you've we've allowed you to have riding lessons and they did as much as i could but even then it was only every other week um we we it wasn't something i never had my own horse it wasn't something we could do and it wasn't something that was seen as a career um or a viable option um at the time, my family thought that the only way doing anything with horses was to, you know, muck out, runny yard yard um, because it's not an industry we're aware of. It wasn't anything they knew that there was any way of creating a career. Not like nowadays where, uh, you know, there are so many ways of having a career that's with horses, which is far more um, than the traditional groom. Um, there are so many ways of doing it now. You know, physios, chiros, body workers, rehab, um, training, livery, uh, you know, instruction—all <clears throat> sorts of things that you can do. Um, and then there's the horsey jobs that aren't with the horses, like what I do. So I'm not actually with the horses themselves and with the riders. Then there's there's jobs like, um, you know, uh, equine PR, equine brand management, um, equine marketing, anything in the equine product industry. Um, having your own business or your own products that you go and sell and things as well. There's a huge amount now that is equine related but isn't the traditional groom. Anyway, so we decided at that point in time that business studies and those sort of things were the way to go. So I did my GCSEs and A-levels and I did traditional you know, business studies, um, IT, that kind of thing. So when it then came to choosing a degree, I did a degree in retail management um, at the time the university that I really wanted to go to was also number one in the country for the degree I wanted to do in retail management so I went did that but all the time I was doing that degree I was desperate to be riding so I did I rode as much as I could and um, when I graduated I decided it was time to get my own horse Um, I'd had a few thrills and spills and trips and falls during that time I wasn't the most capable rider, I hadn't had the best instruction or indeed the best horses to ride, I'd sort of ridden whatever I could, and I hadn't um, hadn't really gotten that competent at it, to be honest, I mean, I thought I was at the time, obviously, um, but now I look back, I just, blimey. And uh, so, yeah, so um, I ended up buying my first proper horse when I graduated from university, And that was one heck of a learning curve. Now, during the time I'd been riding, I was riding one particular horse that I would fall off pretty much every time I rode him, pretty much every time I rode him. Um, He would just drop a shoulder and I wasn't that balanced. And I think I was very much riding off my hand at the time as well. So as soon as he did that, my balance would go. Um, I had a few falls jumping. I wasn't a particular fan of hacking. Lots of things had happened out hacking had a few things happen um to other people when I'd been doing things like beach rides and stuff when I was at university because so I set up the uh, university horse riding society where I was there and met two of my best mates who are still my best mates today and they were my bride's as well um and we still keep in touch and they've all got horses that they ride now as well which is awesome um, sadly we're not local we're all miles away from each other but hey that is life so yeah so um kind of I'd had, I didn't have much confidence, actually, as a rider myself. Um, too many things had happened. I considered myself a nervous rider. I didn't consider myself very confident. I was actually really badly bullied when I was um, at yards when I was younger. So when I was about 10 years old, my parents would take me to a local riding school to help out on a Sunday. Um, I remember that they wouldn't take me, like, first early thing because it was Sunday and they wanted alone, which is perfectly understandable. Um, and it was about half an hour away as well so it was a bit of a trek for them and yeah I was really bullied because I was the only one who wasn't I didn't have my own pony I hadn't grown up around horses I didn't really know that much I was trying to learn um they weren't very supportive I mean I was young as well which didn't really help I started riding it properly at like seven i I say properly like having lessons at seven so I'd really not done that much um by the time I was 10 I was trying to help out and Unfortunately, that's when I had that time when um, I was so badly bullied on that yard when I was very young, and um, because of that, it really, really knocked my confidence um, as a horse rider. I mean, obviously, I didn't think of myself as a horse rider then. I thought of myself as someone who rides horses. There's the difference, and. Um, so it was, you know, it was. I gave up at that point. At ten years old, I just I got up one day and I said to my parents, "I'll never go back to that yard. They're horrible. They bully me. Um, they weren't very nice." The, unfortunately, the yard manager, who probably was actually only about nineteen herself now I look back, but at the time was like an adult to me. Well, adult is nineteen, obviously. But she she wasn't very supportive of me either. Um, we had a star system. So you used to write down what you'd done that day. And if you'd done enough, they'd give you a star. And I think it was something like four stars would give you a lesson. And I remember I would write things on the chart and they'd get rubbed off or they would get changed. Um, and I'd only ever get sort of half a star or something. And I think part of it was because I didn't get there until maybe 10 in the morning and probably a lot of the stuff was done then. But there wasn't anything I could do about that. It was too far away for me to be able to get there on my own steam. I was only 10 years old as well. <laughs> It would have probably taken me about an hour to cycle there on my bike. So I just remember all these little things that were just chip, chip, chipping away at my confidence, which meant that I was never really a particularly confident rider. I was never a particularly skilled rider either. And that followed itself through to the horses that I was riding. And when I got my first one when I left university, because I suddenly had a job and I thought I had money, so I bought a horse, it really started to show, actually. And um, it was then that I realised that, you know, confidence is such a fragile thing sometimes. Um, It really depends on who you've got around you. It depends on, you know, your horse. It depends on a lot of things. And that very much was when I started to become very aware of the effect of confidence on performance. Um, And obviously, when I'm talking performance, I mean, I was doing sort of very bad Unaffiliated prelim dressage, a bit of shocking jumping. And when I say bad and shocking, I don't mean because of the level. I mean, because of the way I was doing that, I was kind of 50 percenting. Um, getting out of clear around just because I could steer, you know, that kind of thing. My horse was sweet, bless him. He was a lovely boy. But um, it's. I don't think it was skill, particularly it was getting me anywhere. Um, and I was trying to have lessons and improve and, and you know, wanted to do things. And I, I found riding clubs and I wanted to be on teams. And I was just doing as much as I possibly could. But at the same time, I was also developing a career in, um, at that point, project management. I was a graduate project manager for a very, very large global telecoms company. They were in 185 countries, 130,000 employees. And at that point, I was a project manager managing massive multi-million pound um, projects and and things to do with um, upgrading the networks. In fact, funnily enough, I ran part of the 4G trials. I mean, we're on 5G now. 4G trials for one of the major networks in the world. Um, and I was, what, 24, 25, something like that. So I was doing really well in my career. Um, and I loved it. But um, I had to retire that horse. And I got another mare. And she was a schoolmistress And by goodness, did she teach me how not to ride. She told me when it was wrong. Not in a nasty way. She never did anything horrid. But she really... Um, started to teach me how to ride from my seat and my leg and not from my hand and it was very much that that got me into biomechanics as well so I came across something called ride with your mind from Mary Oneness I found an instructor who I loved and I went off and took her with me and did a lot of training in that as well to understand the biomechanics of riding and that really helped me as well understand the linkage between confidence and feeling competent and understanding how something works and understanding your body and the mind-body link. That was huge to know that actually if your body, if you ask it to do something and it can do it, you feel far more confident than if you don't or if you don't have the tools or the skill set or the competence. And that that was a huge lesson, huge lesson in confidence and competence coming together. So yes, yeah, so that was that was Della, my gorgeous mare, who I really sadly lost. Um, very, very sadly. I was out and about with one of one of our um, ambassadors, one of our sponsor riders, Katie. We'd gone to a competition together. Um, I'd gone, I'd been dropped off at her yard. We'd gone together in her lorry with her gorgeous young horse at the time. He's not so young now, but she was. And um, as she was warming up, I got a phone call to say that my horse had been kicked in the field and um yeah that was difficult because i couldn't go anywhere i couldn't do anything and i thought she just had a kick and it wasn't that bad but i got a phone call about 10 minutes later to say i'm not sure you realize how bad this is um and there was nothing i could do i couldn't i couldn't get anywhere i couldn't go anywhere um so i had to just say goodbye to her um via the vet on the phone 45 minutes after they first phoned me she was gone And uh, I had managed to get my husband to come and pick me up to get me to the yard, but I knew I wouldn't be there before she'd gone. So I got to go and say goodbye to her and her field as a body, really. That was tough. That really was a huge um, example for me, I suppose, of, uh, you know, understanding grief, um, understanding letting horses go understanding the process that we all have to go through, the turmoil, um, processing emotion, trauma. Um, you know, that for me was a, a huge part of my life that was it was very difficult to undergo, obviously, but it was also an incredible learning when it comes to emotion um, and understanding why we need to have it, why we need to process it, again, why we need the right people around us and the right support. Of course, when I lost Dalla. I was already doing Flying Changes Coaching. So I haven't haven't even told you how this even started. Um, But that horse, she was incredible. She she got me doing some low-level eventing. She got me showing affiliated. She got me out and about doing things. She got me hacking again. I'd really lost my confidence hacking. I was terrified because every time I used to hack with one particular person, she would point out all the things that could go wrong. She was very well-meaning. She thought she understood confidence and she thought she understood that the best way to make someone confident is to tell them all the stuff that could go wrong and say, but it's okay, don't worry, it's not going to. (laughs) And I laugh now because I know that that's actually the very worst thing that you can do. Um, So yeah, so let's rewind then to how Flying Changes started up. And um, so yeah, I was doing this corporate job. I was... I flying through everything I was looking after um, I ended up in a global role. So I was looking after 185 countries um, in something called talent management, which is a function of HR, which is all about finding the good people in the company and developing them up into leadership positions faster than they probably would have. And trying to retain your people, trying to keep you good people. So I was having an incredible education into development of people, um, performance, performance, uh, you know the types of people you needed um but unfortunately, it just wasn't what I really wanted because it wasn't actually so much about that element for me. it was much more about Powerpoints and spreadsheets as often these roles end up being and I was traveling all over the place, traveling around the world and doing all sorts of things and my gorgeous mare della had to um, go on to part livery, which isn't a problem in itself, but at the time um I found that very hard I'd been on d i y with all my horses for years. Um, And I found it very hard to suddenly put the control of her everyday life into the hands of someone completely new. Um, And what I would do is, um, you know, at the weekends I'd be booked in to go competing and I would, well, my scores were actually getting worse and worse and worse. And um, I certainly didn't expect that. I wasn't really able to put the practice in during the week that I wanted to because most of the time I'd turn up at the yard stressed and, and fed up after a day. Of doing what I didn't really love, um, it was quite a stressful job. There was um, a lot of things that I was doing to do with performance management, rolling out big changes, massive change management projects that were really hard um, from a psychological perspective for people. I was at the time learning how to how to coach, um, qualified in NLP at the time as a practitioner, which is the very first level you can get qualified in, which really is the basics, but you know still helpful. And I was also um, training in something called equine assisted coaching, and what that is is understanding the link between horse and human, and using the horse as a bit of a mirror and a metaphor for the human that you're coaching to help them understand what might be going on. And it's it's just incredible work, really, is unbelievable work. And I was training to do that. And one day I was running a weekend course. Um, so you know i was i was high flying on the go during the week and then at the weekends i was either training in this or running courses in it um uh, you know running confidence courses for horse riders because that's what i love doing um or going out competing so there wasn't really any downtime and i have to say my body was really starting to give up on me um we talk about burnout i didn't realize i was i had no idea um i just thought that you know that just what life was like the fact that it was really hard to get up some mornings like really hard to get up like physically difficult um I was always ill I knew I had food intolerances and things but I wasn't looking after my body properly of course there was no time to go to like the gym well there was actually I think I was actually managing to fit in the gym as well um but of course that was making me more tired and more physically you know incapable of doing things so yeah, I didn't realize that I was burning out and I had I'd never heard of, well, I had heard of ME. I apparently was diagnosed with it at 18 and went, I'm not having that, thanks very much, um, and chronic fatigue and things like that. So when one weekend, I'd run the weekend, and I was stood in this classroom, it was one of these mobile classrooms, um, you know, container type things on a yard. And I was just clearing up from the end of that session and the people were over the moon. They had had the best time. They were feeling super confident. They had really changed their mindsets in one weekend. They were just loving it. And they'd just gone. And one lady was left behind, Elaine. And I started to cry, as quite often I did. And um, she said, oh, you know, you're all right. What's going on? She'd been on the course that weekend, but she was also training in what we did and um, knew a bit behind it um, And she'd been a participant to help us with sort of numbers and things. And I said, oh, I've got to get back on a plane again at half four in the morning tomorrow and got fly out to Sweden again. And I just don't want to do it. I really, really don't want to do it anymore. I want to do this. I want to work with people. I want to work with horses. I've got a real passion for it. I can clearly do it. You know, I've ploughed a lot of time and energy and effort and learning into this. Um, But I can't give up that job cannot give up my corporate job there is no way I can afford to keep my horse if I do that I can't afford the mortgage and things if we do that I can't I just can't afford to do it and uh, of course at that point in time I was buying things because I could I didn't realize that I was trying to fill a void with having the stuff Um, it literally was all the gear and no idea and uh, yeah so she said to me right well you know, how long do you need before you can get out of your job? Now I'd known Elaine a little while. I said, "I need two years. I need two years to get the money behind me to be able to do this." She turned around to me and she said, "Jenny, in two years' time, you'll be bed bound. If you wait another two years, you'll be bed bound." And I tell you this because I've had ME. I ended up bed bound. I nearly lost my house. I nearly lost my family. I lost everything because I couldn't physically do anything. I see you're headed down that route. From the things that you've said, I know you are. And she also said to me, do you know how long you've been saying this for? I said, no, how long have I been saying I leave my job? She said, two years. You've been saying you'll leave it for two years. We're now two years down the line and you still want two years. But never going to happen. It's never going to happen. And that was like an absolute smack in the chops for this woman who actually was a specialist in recovery from chronic fatigue, ME, fibromyalgia and adrenal related conditions. She had burnt out herself. She had nearly lost everything. She while she was bed bound, basically, um, and unable to do anything, the doctors couldn't help, they didn't know what to do. She tried everything. She had managed to work out a way of recovering. And in having worked out that way herself, she started to then teach others and find a create a system and create what we now know as the chrysalis effect program. And she had created the program. She'd proven it worked with other people. She had then trained up practitioners they are then helping other people and she created this whole empire around it about helping people recover from chronic fatigue and burnout so she said I know this stuff I'm not talking nonsense this is what's going to happen unless you make a change now and you know the biggest change you need to make is that you need to leave the toxic job that is not in line with who you are and what you are um, and get out otherwise I'm telling you that's what's going to happen and do you know what that That moment, that moment when someone put it to me as it is and said, here's your choice. And it wasn't just a random person saying this. She knew. She knew exactly what she was talking about. And that's why she said it to me. And and the thing with burnout is that most people have no idea it's happening. So if you're always tired or um, you're always feeling run down or you've never got the energy to do what you need to do, or you're not sleeping, or um, you're probably eating, but you're probably not eating the stuff that you know is good for you and that fuels you, um, or you've got muscle ache all the time and things like this. Um, no matter how much you sleep, it makes no difference. Because I could sleep. I've always been able to sleep. No problem. I could sleep. But I could have 10 hours and I wouldn't feel rested. So I knew this was a problem. These are some of the signs, you know, foggy brain. I, um, it was rather embarrassing actually because the job that I was in, it's talent management. is about lists of people. It's about knowing the people. It's about having conversations with them. It's about assessing them, spending days, weeks with them, seeing whether they're able to move up to the next level, working out development plans, all this sort of thing. And they'd walk up to me and their name would just disappear from my head. I know exactly who they were, but the name didn't come. I'd be talking and the words would go. And this actually is all I now know signs of burnout. Um, because what happens is the constant cortisol from being on the adrenaline all the time fries your brain. It does. It fries your brain cells. It actually starts to kill them off. This is not hearsay. This is been proven now. Medical evidence has shown it. Cortisol kills brain cells. Makes you. Well, it does make you thicker. It's like still as intelligent or what have you, but it means that it's not able to fire the way it needs to. So I had to make a change. And you know what stood in that classroom at that point in time? Knowing that something really significant in my life had to change, but not having any idea how to do it. It's quite possibly the scariest moment of my life. And I've done all sorts of things since then and nothing was as scary as that. Now, obviously, I didn't just leave my job and start a business and it's fruitful to what it is today because, you know, Flying Changes is now a six-figure business. It's grown to what it has. I'm coaching, I'm training my own coaches. It is growing. It is, it's incredible. We've got unbelievable communities. Eden is just amazing. We've got this unbelievable 12-week mastermind course. You know, this has taken, I'm now in my eighth year of this business, taken time to build. But if I hadn't made the decision in that moment that I was going to do it it would never exist today and I have to say I am pretty much 90% recovered I still have a lapse every now and again but that's normally I know it's coming (laughs) so I had to get over the biggest fear the biggest fear in that moment in time which was to let go of security and safety or perceive security and safety and give it a go and In doing that, and in many things over the years, I have really, really discovered that sometimes in the right environments, you have to just make a decision, and you have to feel the fear and do it anyway. Now, there's environments when that's not the right thing to do, and there's environments when it absolutely has to be the thing that you do, and I'm not going to get into the mindset element of that now, because if you watch my daily lives, if you listen to my videos, if you... Um, you know become part of mastermind and that kind of thing you'll learn all about that um, but I worked out a plan I worked out a plan um, to help start the business I managed to get I saved like crazy I sold a load of shares I sold a load of stuff I didn't need I got money behind me to start it up and I bootstrapped it and bootstrapping is when you start with nothing I have never taken a loan a business loan or anything like that i have just made the business work now okay that means it's taken time it's taken a lot of time and there have definitely been some moments where it's do or die again a few years ago there was a definite moment of i'm struggling to make ends meet every month i either give this up now and go back into a normal job or i turn this around And luckily, another amazing person came into my life and said, you have got a brilliant business. You just don't understand the tools, the techniques, the systems and the things you need to do to make it really, really work. And so often this is the case when it comes to confidence, when it comes to fear. Sometimes it can be past experiences that create that. Absolutely it can. But sometimes it could just be the fear of the unknown and it's unknown because we haven't learned it yet. And sometimes we just didn't know that that little nugget of information was what we needed to, boot, to do the next step and to push forward. So I created that plan and I set up flying changes. And at that point in time, I was doing some really quite basic coaching. I mean, it did work for people. It was fine. But I was an NLP practitioner. It wasn't, you know, it worked. It did some bits, but I was really working with symptom, not cause. And then over the next few years, I ploughed as much as I could into my own development for me understanding me better understanding me in order to create a business to make it work because imposter syndrome oh that was huge my whole identity was about being a corporate consultant a global consultant that had kudos and then suddenly I was someone who was trying to do a bit of coaching to make a business work um that was hard that was really hard it was very hard you know whenever anyone said to me what do you do I'd say oh i am am a I'm a what did I call? call myself confidence coach at that point? I'm a confidence coach, but I used to be a global exec or a global consultant. And they'd be like, oh, that's nice. You know, and you can just see it coming out of me. Like I don't feel good enough. Um, And I didn't, I didn't feel good enough, but you know what it did? It drove me to learn more. So I then started learning about trauma informed practice so that I could work with the chords and not the symptoms anymore. I went and got my master trainer of NLP. I um finished off all of my, equine assisted coaching qualification and to begin with i was doing a lot of work with that but that slowly moved away as i realized it doesn't really work with horse riders and their own horses um it works with strangers and horses they don't know but it doesn't work if we try and get it to do with you and your own horse it's really difficult to break through the barrier of well they just do that (laughs) i've taught them to um and yeah and i spent years investing or i don't know how much money scary probably six figures to be honest into my own development and the development of the business and and just worked and stepped and kept thinking what next what next what next to develop it through and learn just huge amounts from my clients um huge amounts from other people obviously went on other people's courses learned other things you know and at first I really had this this mindset of my own very fixed mindset so I had to learn how to change that of if I don't know it's not good enough Um, or if they tell me something that I already know then I don't know enough I should know more I should be the world leading expert in this and the thing I didn't realize is that you become a world leading expert by learning from other world leading experts not from necessarily doing some groundbreaking research because actually when it comes to mindset performance and the things we're working with confidence there is no ground leading research yes there is from a neurology perspective but I'm I'm not in an institute and have no desire at all to learn about, um, you know, which bit of the which bit of the brain fires up when you get someone to think about different things like that's useful. But I wanted to know how to actually make a difference. I didn't just want to know that, you know, this exists. I wanted to know, well, so so then what what do you do with it? And that's meant that my practice has always been future focused, solution focused practice, which means that. Um, knowing how fear is formed is useful but knowing what to do about it is more useful Um, knowing that someone's got a fixed mindset is good but knowing how to change that mindset is the most important part and I've certainly found over the years that there are a lot of people that know why something happens but they don't know what to do about it or change it and I was very much the same with mindset I knew that there were some people with great mindset great confidence but I didn't know how they became that way or how to get someone from fear to confidence and that's what I've learned over the years massively so now I can go in and you know I can say well that's what's going on and that's what we need to change and it works but that wasn't just something that I read in a book. Like, that is my years of research. That is my system i developed. That is the stuff that I've done with countless, countless, countless clients and groups and, you know, learning from other experts and having my own mentors. And I have my own mindset coach. I have my own mindset coach. I have my own mentors. I have my own people that I turn to who are my eyes on the ground because I'm human. And, um, you know, one of the – I have I literally have a business coach I have a mindset coach for myself. Um, I have uh, incredible mentors that I go to when I'm stuck with any particular things. And they give me the shortcuts. And, you know, so much of this, if you want to build a business or you want to get better at riding or you want to, you need to find out the shortcuts. But it doesn't necessarily mean you're able to apply them straight away. Sometimes you're not in the right frame of mind. Uh, or the right place, or you don't have the right things in place to be able to do it. But what you have to do is keep taking some risks. There have been some huge risks that I have taken that I was terrified of. But if I hadn't taken them, I wouldn't be where I am now. And hindsight is always a wonderful thing. And I bet if you look at how you got to where you are now, you can see where all the parts link up. And I bet there's some decisions you regret and some decisions you're pleased about. But all of them have been learning. And I think really, you know, my journey, my story of how I am where I am today, how I have built an international business, how I'm training my own people up in what I do has come just from a huge amount of tenacity and this massive vision to help people get out of things they don't have to be stuck in. Like no one has to be stuck unconfident. No one has to be stuck feeling anxious. No one has to be stuck not knowing what the tools are to do it with because I've been there and it was when someone gave me the right tool that I knew how to then use, sorted it out. And that's everything in life, isn't it, really? Life is all about, firstly, admitting that there's an issue, admitting something's not how you want it, admitting something's wrong, admitting something isn't going the way you want it to go, making some hard decisions sometimes because sometimes they are the hardest decision you have to make and they hurt But they're exactly what you need to do to grow, because if your wings are clipped, it's never going to happen. You know, I love the analogy of the butterfly. The caterpillar creates a cocoon and turns to mush before it starts to transform to come out of that cocoon to the butterfly. And sometimes we have to make the decision to put the cocoon around and turn to mush to then be able to transform and come out of the butterfly. But that's a scary thought, because what if we don't come out from the mush? But you're always going to. You've survived 100% of everything you've been through today. You know, yeah, you don't always make the right decision, but you will learn from them. A thing I shared the other day said that mountains are the challenges that we go through. And it's not saying that it's going to be any easier to keep going up that mountain. But when you turn around and look back, not only have you conquered that mountain, but it's given you the tools to be able to conquer another one. And you can look back and think, I did that. But if you decide never to go up that mountain, you're never going to get that view. And then when you turn and look the other way, there's another mountain. And there's always mountains to climb. They're always going on and no one's ever fixed, trust me. Um, every single time I've been on some major personal development program or I've learned something incredible and new or I've sorted something out from my own past, you know, traumas and issues in life, because we've all had them, we've all had them. Um, I think, yes, I'm fixed. Brilliant. Everything's going to be perfect from now on. And I have to keep reminding myself even today, no, it's not. It's good for a while. There'll be more lessons. But just keep seeing them as lessons. They're just something new to learn. There is always something being sent to teach you a lesson in some way. And we can either have a tantrum about them, we can get annoyed about them, or we can embrace them and say, okay, fine, what's the next cocoon I've got to go into in order to grow? Um, so, yeah, so that's a little bit, really, about Flying Changes. If you've got any questions or anything, do feel free to ask. Um, ask me any questions on a DM if you're listening to the podcast. Ask any questions on Flying Changes. If you want to know more about Mastermind Programme, the 12-week Transformation Programme, then just drop me a message um, on Flying Changes Coaching on Facebook or Flying Changes Coach on Instagram. Um, and, yeah, that, that's been my journey, really. Um, I have come through all sorts of challenges i've even put myself deliberately on some like i did the wobbleberry challenge i'm gonna go into that one today but i went from absolutely being terrified of cantering over a pole on the ground to jumping around a be 80 and in fact getting sixth in my section um in doing it i would have got second but she had a run out of one and the jumps <laughs> um you know so no one ever gets to where they are and i hope if you've listened to enough of the podcasts, that you'll realise that no one ever gets to where they are by luck. Um, yeah, they have to make changes. They have to make overcome challenges. They have to make decisions. Sometimes they're hard. Most of the time they're hard. But what they have is resilience and tenacity to keep going. The people that do suddenly become overnight successes are often the ones that have the problem. Um, the guys that become overnight superstars, they haven't built the strength and the skills and the mental mental tools to be able to deal with that um it's the same with lottery winners they often lose it very a few years after something like i don't know what percentage it is but a huge percent of national lottery winners lose have none of their winnings left a few years later because they haven't built up the money mindset around that kind of thing and so if you feel like you're struggling at the moment like we've all we're all on a journey we are we've all overcome massive things but those of us that are really making what we want out of life and really kind of getting where we want to be it's because we've got the resilience and the tenacity to just keep going and to you know see things as learning and to pick yourself up now it doesn't mean i don't get angry sad upset i don't i have tantrums i get annoyed um i'm human i'm i'm not perfect um but what i do is allow that for a short period of time Um, and then either ask someone to help if that's what i need or find it myself or have a little look in the toolbox and see if there's something buried at the bottom i haven't seen for a while that maybe i need to get out and you know having incredible support around you helps you do that as well Um, so yeah just if you're in a place at the moment where you feel like you just need things to change then you've you've got to do something to start making that change. And sometimes that could be hard decisions, Um, but they'll be the best ones you make. And you'll turn around one day at the top of that mountain and look back and think, God, if I hadn't done that, I would never be here. So you've got to choose if you're going to climb your mountain. I've climbed many mountains. I'm still on another one. There is more to come, Um, but I'm loving, absolutely loving the journey and I'm loving sharing with other people. And I'm loving being able to help others as well. So, yeah, um, now I'm really quite confident in my riding. I know my limitations. I know what my skills are. I know where I need to improve more. Um, I know the bits I love and I know the bits I don't love so much. So I don't spend the time on the bits I don't love because they're not interesting to me. Um, And I spend more time on the bits I do. And I make sure my goals are in line with that. And if something isn't in line with my goals, then I have to reassess it. And, you know, it's just constant thinking changing reassessing but if you're a leisure rider uh your riding's all about having fun so you do need to check in on that one and if it's not happening you need to work out why are you in the right partnership are you on the right yard have you got the right support around you are your goals the right ones for you or are they ones you feel you have to do because other people have told you so um you know what what disciplines you want to be doing are you being railroaded into something you don't want to do these are decisions that you can make Um, have you always wanted to do something and you feel like you're gonna miss out if you don't, in which case you have to crack on and do it then. You're gonna have to do something to 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 make a difference to do it. Um, because nothing gets handed to you. And if it does get handed to you, then great. What are you gonna do with it? So yeah, so that's me. That's me, my journey. Flying changes, how it come to be. The future is exciting. Got new projects on the go with new people, new business ventures as well, which is cool. One of the things I've learned is all the skills and tools I need to get things like that. I'm running much faster now. They're not going to take eight years to, uh, to become, well, I mean, success. So I always wanted to get to the six-figure mark. Um, so that was kind of my goal to begin with. Um, now I've got new goals. Um, so it's not that it wasn't successful until that point. It was just that was a goal I'd always had, and it is now. Um just bought my dream car. And I've got my gorgeous horse and potentially another one in the pipeline, maybe next year. So who knows guys, who knows what's on the horizon? You just don't, you've got to roll with it. But at the same time, you've got to have a bit of a view of where you want to go as well. Because if you only roll with it, you could end up somewhere, you might end up where you want to by chance. But at the same time, you've got to go for that goal. But if you're too blinkered towards that goal, sometimes you miss the opportunities that come along the way as well. So it's all about balance, isn't it? Um, And yeah. So loving it, loving life, Um, absolutely loving sharing it with other people. And if you're not a part of Eden, uh, go on the website, flyingchangetocoaching.co.uk and have a look at Eden. Um, And if you want to do your mastermind and and really transform, then sign up to mastermind and go for it. That would probably be one of the best decisions you've made um, because it's one of those decisions where you've got to invest to make a change, to learn what you need, to move on up. So that is a bit of a we accelerate you up the mountain type of, um, type of thing, which every now and again, someone gives you the right bit of rope and pulls you up a bit further. Um, otherwise, you're going to be trudging up. You make it on your own steam, but it'll take longer. So every now and again, grab the rope that's dangled and grab a hold and trust that that rope's going to take you somewhere. All right, that's enough mountain analogies for now. Um, so it's been awesome chatting to you guys and telling you my story. Um for those of you listening back on the podcast, thank you for listening. If you've got any questions, let me know. And I hope forward look forward to hearing from lots of you soon and seeing you at Eden Fest. Um which uh, if you're listening back to it, hopefully you will listen to this. Oh, I don't know. I think this podcast might actually come out after Eden Fest has happened, so I won't tell you about it on the podcast, but look on um flying changes for whatever's coming up next. So thanks very much guys, take care, and I'll see you all soon. Bye bye. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast as much as I did. If you want to listen to more of them, then please do follow us in Apple, in Google and on Podbean. Hack Your Mindset with Jenny is the name of this podcast, so please do subscribe, follow us and we look forward to you listening into our next one. Bye everyone. Who got, this? You got this. You know you got this. Who got this. You got this. You got, it yes. Who got this. Anybody going to stop this?